You are listening to SaaS Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketers, sales, and service teams stay up to date on the best strategies and tactics that are being used to thrive in the SaaS battlefield. We discuss topics like account-based marketing, B2B marketing, content marketing, sales and marketing alignment, and more. My name is Cedric Pudvang, and I'm the CEO of Vertex Marketing Agency, an agency where we focus solely on helping B2B SaaS companies implement an account-based marketing strategy. And I'm also one of the co-hosts of the show. When we're not interviewing industry leaders, we will be sharing some of the sales and marketing systems we're implementing for us and our clients. Let's launch. Hey, my name is Cedric, and I will be your host for today's episode. And today, our guest founded five different companies, and he he was actually only 16 years old when he founded his first company. So I'd like to welcome Stephen Levy. Thank you, Cedric. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, very good, thanks. Can't complain. Great. So today, the topic is ABM, account-based marketing. And I say it's probably one of my favorite topics. Uh, but before we jump into that, I'd love if you could maybe just give our listeners a little background about who you are and uh, what you guys are up to at SailPoint. Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose by way of introduction, uh, I've been in the space a couple of years now. I started my first company uh, while I was still in high school. And then after school, I uh, started a few more. Uh, I think I was trying to find my feet and I got involved in bottled water and destination marketing and I mean, all sorts of stuff, but uh, I mean, Cedric, you know what it's like running a business. I think at that stage, the best I was able to do was build a couple lifestyle companies that maybe maintain my lifestyle and one or two others. So a couple of years in, was pretty frustrated. Uh, Thought uh, I'd read one or two books and knew everything. Um, Realized the hard way that this is going to be more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think after like the third third pivot, uh, I started learning that, I probably need to pay more attention to marketing and sales. And it yep. uh, doesn't matter if you have a good product. If you can't sell the thing, uh, you don't get too far. So, uh, yeah, spent spent more time uh, researching how to, how to be better at sales and marketing specifically. Um, and that then started to, to build my love for marketing and, uh, and its power and effectiveness. Uh, discovered kind of the ABM, initial ABM thinking back then, even though uh, the word ABM wasn't around at that stage. Um, yeah, two, 2005, uh, tried again. That one was a lot more successful. Uh, managed to, to exit that one, sell that one. Uh, built another one in, in retail technology and sold that. Um, yeah, and uh, it, so that, that all went much better. And then uh, 2018, I, uh, I'd moved on from the, the startups that I was managing at that stage. Uh, there were owners that owned it by then. And uh, while in the US looking for something else to do, um, probably a new startup at that stage, I discovered this company, SailPoint. I was introduced to them and there was this amazing company, a great business in Austin, Texas, growing like crazy. And uh, I was fascinated. I'm like, wow, they must have the most sophisticated marketing uh, tech stack and team on the planet. And uh, discovered that although they were growing amazingly, they, they had won multiple awards, they were a listed company, um, they hadn't really gone down the ABM route yet. So, uh, yeah, after a couple of chats with their CMO and some of their team members, loved the people, uh, decided and luckily, frankly, decided to uh, to join their team and uh, I now look after their global ABM strategy. That's awesome. It's crazy how you went to building websites as your, your first company to account-based marketing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
It's actually funny. I actually used to be a personal trainer before I even decided to go, well, I mean, start up my own uh, account-based marketing Ooh. consultant agency um, where I, the reason I actually went the ABM route is because I was having issues uh, getting clients for my personal training business. Yeah. And then it's when I realized, okay, I, again, same thing as you, I need to be really good in sales and marketing that I started doing research and a lot of research. Then I actually found ABM and I just really fell in love with it. Um, yeah. Have you ever been in a sales role? Yeah, um, well, I mean, so when, you, when you're running your own small business, I mean, I, I never built okay. anything massive. You're, you're kind of chief cook and bottle washer. So having to sell investors to raise capital sure. to pitching the first hundred clients. And I think that's actually what, what made the transition into ABM easier okay. is I was first a salesman before I was a marketer. Mm. Um, so I appreciate both sides of the coin. I see. Okay. And for any of our listeners that are not familiar with SellPoint, do you mind giving a, I mean, a, a short intro or short description of exactly what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So SellPoint is in the identity management or identity governance space. So the easiest way to explain that, not too many people know what that is. Um, if you imagine day one, you join a company, this company's got 5,000 employees and you sit down in front of your computer and there are literally thousands of applications on premise and in the cloud that this company uses globally. Um, how would you get given access to the right software, the right tools, the right permissions that used to take weeks for someone in HR or IT to do that for you? So you would just sit as dead weight for the first like quarter of your life there. Um, so SailPoint has patented some cool AI tech that automates that entire process. So like you sit down, you open up your Mac day one and everything just works. You have access to everything you need access to and it manages that entire process. Wow, that's, that's great. No, that's yeah, the, it's, a, it's a big mm -hmm. company problem. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. They definitely they did a good job at finding that gap and creating a solution to solve this. No, that's great. Yeah. So obviously when you, when you first started at SellPoint, you mentioned it, they didn't have an ABM strategy at the moment. How do you change an organization's perception on ABM and then just get started? Like, were, were they already aware of what ABM was and then decide to uh, hire you to help them create a strategy or did you have to convince them? And what about the, the sales team? Were they really on board with the strategy or how did that go? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so I'll, I'll tell you about SailPoint then in general, but uh, so for SailPoint specifically, they had been dancing around the idea of ABM uh, okay. for around two years before I'd come. So they'd started seeing uh, more ABM related material at events and conferences and in books, et cetera. Um, and one or two people that tried to get it going, but there was never a consensus internally as to, to what to do. And I think when I arrived, um, the first thing I said was ABM sucks. It's just a buzzword. And, um, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. the, I think the shock factor is like, whoa, you're finally, you know, someone that we all listen to. So, so obviously I love ABM, um, but, but changing perceptions uh, to your question, Cedric, ABM is generally a buzzword. And, and, and the problem is that ABM has actually got internal conflict with both the marketing team and the sales team. So I'll give you an example. If imagine a marketer walks into a team meeting and says, guys, I've got this great idea you know, we're going to run an ABM campaign or an ABM program and then be the sales guy for a moment and be, okay, that sounds amazing. What is that? Well, it's this really cool new way of um, only marketing to actual accounts. 
Now, if you're a sales guy, you'd be like, well, what the hell were you doing before? Uh, well, yeah, we were marketing to cookies, you know. Uh, so, you know, the problem with ABM is the sales guys think you're crazy uh, because surely you're supposed to be marketing to named accounts anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's the one problem. And then the other thing is be the marketer. So here's a great idea, Cedric. We're going to create an ABM program. And what it's going to effectively do is pull back the curtains, the smoke and mirrors, and allow us to measure every single dollar we spend, the return on investment down to the account level so that marketing can now be held accountable. Uh, no. So, so marketing doesn't want it because then everyone can see that marketing doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Uh, yep. Sales is like, well, what do you guys do? Um, anyway, so, so changing perceptions, this is what I would do. I would say you start off by saying, hey, look, um, we're trying to be smarter about, about the way we spend our money. Um, we're trying to be smarter about what we do every day. And we actually want to align our marketing effort to the sales effort. And if we can do all of that, we all win. So I found that that conversation got everyone around the table for the first time. And then everyone was going to listen because you, fi- you finally had sales and marketing saying, we can all agree that if the company does better, we all do better. Um, and, and, then, and then suggest this idea that, okay, in order to do all of this, there is this framework called ABM that we could use. We're not the first company to think of this. Yeah. And so introduce ABM as a, as a secondary thought, not the opening statement, really. Um, and, and, and as marketing, be okay to be held accountable um, and be a bit more open about what it is you're doing. I see, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, ABM is just, I think it's just good B2B marketing, right? Because yeah. in order to be good B2B marketing, you need to have marketing and sales alignment. And it's funny because we actually, ha- actually had that, that conversation with my partner a few weeks back. And we were saying it really sucks that we need to call it ABM because really we should just be talking. We should be just talking about it. Oh no, this is B2B marketing, but yeah. I don't know. For some reason we, we just really needed to have a, a label and a new name for, I guess, B2B marketing, which is ABM. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to call it account-based revenue. So ABR, you know, okay. it's, a, it's, t- it's two teams. We're all off the revenue. Um, so, so ABR, but yeah, spot on, Cedric. You, you, I mean, I don't know why we had to call it that, but anyway. <laughs> it's just, I can't base everything. <laughs> yes, there you go. What would you recommend the first step should be for a company that actually wants to get started with an ABM pilot? Or I guess we'll call it a good B2B marketing program. What is yeah, the first step? Yeah, this is where it breaks, doesn't it? It's like, so, so you get everyone around a table, you all agree this is a good idea. And then yeah. six months later, ABM sucks. ABM will never work. You know, it's, and, and normally it boils down to, to, to this. If you're going to start an ABM program today, um, having done it incorrectly a few times before, um, I didn't get this right the first time. So, so starting, starting today, pick the thing that you're trying to solve and, and pick a meaningful thing and just one. So I'll give you an example of what I mean there. So if you're going to launch a pilot ABM program, are you going to try and solve pipeline acceleration or are you going to try and solve net new pipeline growth? Don't try and do all of it. Don't boil the ocean. Um, maybe, maybe you want to be as specific as picking a vertical. So chatting with your sales leadership, you identify that whatever healthcare is a problem area for your sales team in Germany. You know, pick healthcare in Germany and pick um, New, net new pipeline growth as your metric. You know, if that's what you're going to do, stick to it. Work with your sales team, build a program around that, prove it. And once you've proven it, 
build out to other things. I think what goes wrong is ABM just gets put in as a campaign tactic, like email marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And then six months later, everyone's like, well, I don't actually know what it did. Um, but if you pick something meaningful, you go after it in a certain region that's visible to the rest of the organization. It builds some street cred and goes from there. I see. And you mentioned that the first time you did ABM, you said you didn't do it correctly. Um, yep. do, you, do you mind sharing what went wrong? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it became, instead of picking something to move the needle on, it just became general marketing, except now it was a little bit better. So, hey, we had named accounts. So instead of running ads to everyone, let's just run the same generic ad to this list of 500,000 accounts. So because okay. I knew the names of the accounts, I thought I was doing ABM. I definitely wasn't. So, so I didn't pick a thing to measure. It was just general air cover. You know, I might as well have run a radio ad or a TV ad. So maybe it was a bit better than that, but certainly not what I should have been doing. Okay, I see. And you mentioned the word uh, measure. So what's the number one metric you look at when measuring success in an ABM program? I know it's going to vary from company to company, uh, yeah. but right now for, um, for your company, what is the primary metric? Yeah, you see, so I suppose my sales background um, puts my default position to always measure something related to revenue. So, okay. so if someone had to say, just pick a thing, I'm like always going for revenue. But right now, um, my number one metric is opportunity creation. So that kind of talks to where the company's at. We're, we're trying to drive growth. We're growing like crazy, which is awesome. So we're highly focused on that. So our ABM initiatives, um, which by the way, are not separate. Um, it's pervasive across the company. So everything we do is ABM, whether it's the sales team or the marketing team, it's not a separate tactic, um, but we're all pushing for a certain goal. So say op creation, other companies might be pipeline influence or closed one deals, um, depending on whether you're trying to drive a revenue metric. Um, I, I know some programs will push for something different, like decision makers mapped, for instance, we might need to unpack that if we've got some time. Um, sales alignment is another popular one mm. that you can track. Uh, but yeah, I, I favor the revenue, the revenue metrics, because then at the end of the day, everyone's measuring the same sort of number and your sales team respects you. Uh, your leadership team respects you. Uh, if you stop making up funny, fuzzy cloud metrics, then you get into dangerous waters. I see. Okay. So probably for someone, uh, for, for, I mean, for a lot of companies, I agree with you. Uh, revenue is a big, uh, a big factor. Um, so would you recommend having a revenue team? Yeah, good question. So, so if that is the big metric, if, if re- right now, um, opportunity creation or pipeline acceleration is one of your, your metrics that you want to get or one of your needles you really want to drive home, then have a dedicated, I wouldn't have a revenue team and then a separate team. I would say your ABM, your team needs to focus on whatever that thing is. So it's, it's op creation. But I'll give you an, an, another potential issue. Like let's say op creation is pretty good. Uh, your company's growing, but you find that you are quickly burning through the available prospects. You, you need to be careful because you might be optimizing for the one area and ignoring future pipeline. So you would want someone paying attention to where's the future uh, opportunity coming from. So you may want to start measuring something like 
um, target account sourcing. So I'll give you an example. Maybe you want to make a million dollars this year and you know that to make a million dollars, you need a thousand target accounts. Um, but if you only have 300 and you're not paying attention to bringing more in, um, you, you're going to have a problem in a couple, couple quarters. So uh, it depends. I wouldn't split out the teams uh, personally. I would pick the metric that moves, moves the business um, the quickest way, the largest way first, and then move on to something different. I see. Okay. And again, for a company that is just getting started with ABM, um, and let's say their sales cycle, because I, I see a lot of software coming, their sales cycle is around nine months. Yeah. If you're just getting started, like how, how do you not lose hope? What is something that you can maybe track earlier on in your journey yeah. to see like, okay, this is, uh, I mean, we're not, we're not seeing revenue right now, but that means that maybe in a few months we'll see some revenue. So what are, I guess, yeah. what are the uh, early signs that the ABM campaign is actually doing well? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant question. So I call these, these leading indicators. That one metric, opportunity creation. But unpack that a little. So what we would typically do is I'll take a look at every single opportunity we've ever opened before. Uh, specifically, I'd actually watch which one's closed ultimately. I'd work out what that looks like. So let's say, whatever, you, you end up with a six-month deal cycle, a year deal cycle, whatever that is. What are the leading indicators that ultimately present a win for you? So for instance, could be a certain industry vertical seems to do better for you than another vertical. It could be that on average, you have 10 to 12 decision makers involved at the end of the deal. All right, if that's the case, a leading indicator for a future closed deal is how many of those decision makers do you actually have mapped against that account and how many of them are engaging with you? So one of the leading indicators we would have is percentage of decision-making units, so we call it a DMU, that we have mapped. If I only have two decision-makers mapped on average across a 1,000 accounts, we're in trouble. I need to have that at 8 to 10 to okay. know that a year from now we'll have met the numbers we want to meet. Uh, and there's a bunch of these leading indicators. Um, website engagement, the number of accounts that we're able to reach with targeted ads, the number of accounts that we've reached with targeted ads, have attended an event, um, and we've sent a direct mail piece to. All of those factors, we can correlate back to opportunity creation. So we try and manufacture that six months prior. It speeds up the whole process as well. So if, if you're just getting started, you need to aim for the end, but reverse engineer. Hopefully you've got some history that you can reverse engineer yep. some of the behavior and then plan for that, track for that. I, I, I totally agree. And when you mean engagement, are you talking about time engagement or cost per click or uh, any other metric or is it time? No, I don't really watch time too much. Um, what, I, what I look at personally is I can see there is a, there's a, there's a definite correlation between um, if I'm serving ads to say a thousand accounts, for instance, and I can only reach 20% of them, I know that in six months time, I'm going to have a shortfall in sales in that region. So okay. I'm going to work really hard to get that, that level of reach up to say 80% plus. And then I'm watching for website engagement. So do they come to the website at some point? It doesn't have to be a click. Uh, I'm a firm believer in ads don't drive clicks and, and they shouldn't. But if you run ads, you'll notice your Google searches increase, you know, a day or two later, your website um, visits increase a day or two later. What about your website chat? 
does website chat increase with your target accounts, you know, Dale two later, et cetera. So I, you know, I'd be watching those things and I'm not watching time necessarily, but I am looking for engagement. Are they reading our articles? Do they scroll to 75%? Do they get through 30 minutes of a webinar? Um, that would be the only time-based piece I'm looking at. I see. Okay. No, that, that yeah. definitely makes sense. And you mentioned that, I mean, you guys are all about account-based marketing. Are you currently, maybe not you, but someone else in your team currently uh, at your company doing also inbound or is, is it purely account-based marketing? Yeah, we, we do do in, um, inbound as well, but even our inbound is changing. So yeah. we're writing, we're creating content for our target account list. So we have, we have our, our 20 odd thousand target accounts. We write content for them. We monitor where in the buyer journey they would typically go to absorb um, educational content. We make sure we have a presence there. So it used to be quite general, our inbound. Now it's, it's almost like everyone's thinking around that set of accounts. So even the inbound team is creating content specific to our target accounts list and, and making sure that we have a presence on the right forums, at the right events, um, the right Google searches. You know, as much as possible, we're thinking account first. I see. Um, I've been having a few conversations for the past few months with uh, other ABM leaders, and I think it's always the same thing. It's not so much black or white or inbound or account-based marketing. Literally, like account-based marketing is becoming inbound because we yeah. need to also create content, again, for those accounts. Yeah. Look, I mean, I... Got for me personally, the days are gone where I'm creating a persona and Susan is 34 years old, has has three kids, plays soccer twice on a Saturday morning, and you know loves cheese. You know like, who cares? You know, so so for me, I'm paying attention to in market intent. Uh, personally, that that is the the most critical thing. If if you can get technology in place and you can afford technology that will monitor in-market buying signals for you that will drive success dramatically through the roof. It's just, and it's just simple dynamics. If you're targeting 10,000 accounts globally for whatever it is, whatever widget you're selling at any given time, only around three to 5% of that market is currently in market to buy a solution like yours, either from yeah. you or a competitor. Now you can either have your sales team randomly calling a bunch of accounts globally that you think fit the ideal customer profile. And then maybe they do, but they're not in market. So they're going to ignore you. Yeah. Your marketing team could be putting out ads everywhere and maybe they ignore you. But if you can identify that 3% and then you concentrate 80% of your effort, sales and marketing on that 3%, you will start closing deals like you've never closed before. Um, anyway, that's what we see. And I know another number of other companies that are kind of intent focused see that as well. 100% I agree with you. It's like, uh, it's a little bit like cheating the game. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So could you share maybe one thing or two things that makes sales points ABM programs so unique? Well, well, I will you'll know this Cedric being a, an ABM practitioner. When, when you hear the word ABM by default, most people think, 100 to 500 accounts, like a targeted, highly focused, most wanted program. So what makes us a bit different is um, that's, that's 25,000 accounts for us. So we run very targeted, very specialized ABM campaigns across thousands of accounts, not just 500. And, and granted, that wouldn't have been possible five years ago. But with uh, great technology and, and good automation and some good chewing gum, you know, putting all this stuff together, 
you can now scale out these programs. So, so one, we're pretty unique in the size of the program we run. Um, and it generally is genuinely is uh, ABM. It's not just demand generation. Um, I'd say the other thing maybe is we don't just look at intent data. We combine intent and technographic data aggressively. So we found when we combine intent or in-market intent along with technographic data, uh, we get like a 2x or 3x jump in success. So I'll give an example. Um, accounts that are in market but use um, Salesforce or use SAP, you know, that would be a much better target for us than accounts that are just mm -hmm. in market, for instance. When it comes to intent tracking, there are some really good tools, you know, um, but the, the one that we really like and the one that I've, I've seen great success with is called Sixth Sense. Um, and it allows you to do some fancier stuff down the line and scale quite nicely. Um, Rollworks and Madison Logic for ad serving, really cool products, uh, re really, really good uh, for content syndication as well. And then um, Technographics, HG Data, the Discover Org's good, but HG Data, really good technographic coverage, very accurate. That's great. But hey, this is it for this episode. But again, uh, Stephen, thanks a lot. Um, to be honest, I've learned a few things and I'm sure our listeners definitely learn a ton. Um, and for any of our listeners that uh, maybe want to learn more about what you do and what SailPoint do, what is the best way that they can do so? Look me up on LinkedIn uh, for me specifically. Otherwise, SailPoint.com if you want to take a look at the, the company um, specifically. But yeah, thanks, Cedric. This has been fun. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. 